0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm so
1: Hello, welcome on another fantastic episode of Partially Excited. We got the amazing Brett D. Scott. He's a coach, speaker, podcaster, and empowers people to be in success mindset. Hello, welcome to the show, Brett. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm excited. When did you realize this word success in your life? It's a good question.
2: You know, I would dare say it has been something on my mind probably from the age of 20 or maybe 21 and that was when i it sort of started when i became a concierge in hotels and i saw the the ability to progress to work my way up to being a chief concierge and being a member of la clé d'or which is uh, the concierge union that's probably where it started
1: when you were growing up as a kid were you kind of realized it was success or was it talked about in the family in any way
2: no, no, definitely not. So, growing up, my mum said I could do whatever I put my mind to and that I would be great at whatever I did and she was correct. I <laughs> was good. I was very good at whatever I did. However, success wasn't really wasn't really taught, it wasn't really explained and I think just internally I've I've just had that that drive, that determination. However, in saying that, I also had some programming that was getting me the results I didn't want, or let's put it in another way. I was self-sabotaging at uh, many various points in my different careers. So I'd reach a certain level of success and
1: then I would find a way to stuff it up. It's interesting because I wouldn't associate a guy like you with my self-sabotage, but we all have it in some way, you know. Do you know, and
2: this is why I do share it. And I appreciate what you're saying, Aaron. And (laughs) if, if I didn't know my own story, And I saw the way that I operate now, I would definitely think that that's just always been the way that person's been, you know, or that I've always been that way, but no. Even though I've been driven, determined, um, in fact, I have a book right here next to me, (laughs) which one of my main coaches bought me, funny enough, called Driven, uh, written by Douglas Brackman, PhD. And in that book, he actually explains there's a scientific reason why certain people are driven and in fact some of them are you know diagnosed as ADHD and different different, depending on their upbringing depending on what they're actually exposed to is the way that they they operate but there is a determining factor and I think it's called the the D2 or the D4 gene and apparently, I don't know if it's fifty-fifty, but there's one part of the population—those driven. Let's—and he takes it back to the caveman era when it was the, you know, the fight or flight, um, or the—let's actually not the fight or flight—the the hunter, you know, like the predominantly men that were out there hunting for the food and and being hunted as well, you know, by those larger mammals. And so, with that. The way that they would operate is that they all their senses are fairly heightened, and so they're not honing their senses in one area, which is why some people get um, diagnosed as ADHD, is that they're all over the place. <laughs> so <laughs> they can't sit, sit still because they're always, you know, they can't usually hold their concentration for too long in one area. Um, but on the flip side of that, they can train themselves to do that. And so it took me many years to get to the point of understanding how to reprogram myself, Aaron. And it took me to the age of 43. So let's call it 22 years. Is that right? Yep, 22 years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I um, was self sabotaged, 22 years of almost. I guess in my perspective or my point of view, I was uh, finding a way to either quit or not have it work out just before I would achieve a certain level of success or a much higher level of success. It's an interesting thing, right? And I'm sure you've seen it. And I certainly know your story because I've had you on my show. Because there are different aspects of each of us, depending on what we go through, depending on certain trauma or certain perhaps things that uh, we haven't actually dealt with that we haven't actually worked through, that we carry, um, and if we carry it for a long time, like I did, <laughs> it's, uh, it takes a bit longer to finally wake up and uh, and be, let's call it frustrated enough or fed up enough uh, that I actually had to make a decision that enough was enough and I really had to do this this time. I had to find a way to, to do it, which wasn't logical when I started, Aaron, which is even more. I feel even more of a success. My view on success, Aaron, is very different to what it was when I first started this journey a few years back.
1: What was your success when you were in your 20s? Oh, my understanding of success back then was
2: that, well, for what I was working towards, perhaps, was you know having a nice home and uh, having lots of money in the bank and being able to go on a holiday so having having a life of freedom I guess is probably the easiest way to put it and that was my view on success when I had all, when I could tick off those boxes I felt like then I can say that I'm a success and thankfully thankfully I don't think that way now because I've had so many like so many if I look back now Um, with a new understanding of what success really is. I can look back at all the things that have transpired in my different careers, in my personal life, um, that most people would look at and say, wow, that's a huge success. You know, just to give you a a bit of a snapshot, um, I worked my way up from being a porter or a bellboy carrying bags, all the way up to chief concierge in five-star hotels. Um, So that in itself is, is quite an achievement. Um, I I moved away from there, and I ended up becoming a hotel account manager for Europe Car. And within 12 months, I helped them go from the sixth in the state to number two. So, because they were brand new, they were called Delta Europe Car when they first came to Australia. And uh, I helped them become number two in the hotel in the hotel section. I went on to my own magazine publishing business and I did that for two and a half years and brought it into two different cities. It was something that I'd never done before and it was quite an incredible achievement for someone who didn't have a sales background because I was the one selling. (laughs) But I knew the industry very well and I had some great contacts that I could um, utilise to actually get that magazine moving in its way. And then I moved into real estate. So I worked in real estate two different cities, I don't have an action with the concierge, I worked in two different cities, I was in Melbourne and Sydney. With uh, with real estate, I was the number one in the whole of Victoria, which is one of our states in Australia, um, in 2007, and then I moved to Queensland and I didn't get that award again, but I certainly was one of the top agents in Brisbane for a period of time as well. And then I moved into fitness. Um, opened my own, well, not my own, but I opened a brand new gym and became a personal trainer. So I've, I've consistently, like even, you know, changing careers multiple times. So I've often had what most people would deem success. But I'm going to tell you, because I'm giving you the long-winded answer, I'm going to tell you what success means to me now. Now, in the past, I was never really doing what we might call, and you know this, Aaron, the inner work. I was never really looking at what was going on inside of me. You know, looking at uh, what has been um, running in my subconscious mind for many, many years. And so having the not only the understanding, but the tools to be able to change, when I have uh, either had to make a decision or when something has transpired and I look at it and I'll say to myself, oh my gosh, how did that happen? And then I'll think, oh, that's because I did X, Y, and Z and this is the result. And I'll just have this absolute elation, you know, like those moments where you just feel like ecstatic and i remember the first time it happened thinking this is success this is what success is because you know i don't know if you've heard the term before um aaron the goal is not to just get to the goal like the the outcome is not is not the point the point is for you to enjoy the journey yeah and so people who just you know focus on getting to the goal and they get there and they feel disappointed or they feel a bit flat or they feel like what was that even for because I've had that conversation with people it's because they haven't actually taken notice of the growth or perhaps they've aimed too low and so therefore you know they're not having the ability to grow into that person and so every time that happens to me Aaron I feel amazing I just I just think wow if this was my last moment, then I would be happy, you know, and I've certainly had a few of those, <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm happy to be here on this planet and live as long as it um, is required because I have a very, very big mission.
1: Oh, wow, There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. But the first question I want to ask is what drive did you go from Bellboy to Second Hotel in Australia to publishing to whatever? What was that driving force that made you realize I need you better?
2: That's a good question because I remember I'm originally from Melbourne and that's where I started in my hotel career and then 1999 um, I had an opportunity to either go to um, Montparnasse in Paris to do kind of like a bit more than work experience but kind of like an uh, exchange type of thing um, with the same company I was working for at the time which was Le Meridian. I also had an opportunity to go work uh, in New York and then the other opportunity was that the Meridian were opening a brand new hotel in Sydney and it was the Olympics year 2000 you know I was thinking well I'd love to go overseas and I'd love to you know experience one of these incredible hotels but the Olympics is too you know like how long how many times is that gonna to come to Australia? So or when's you know, when will it come to Australia in my lifetime? So I thought, no, I'm actually gonna go and do that. It was kind of a, a step up. I was kind of the assistant chief concierge at that hotel. What I mean is I went to Sydney and that was great for eighteen months. And then I decided that I really wanted to take on a chief concierge role and I wanted to go back to Melbourne. So I kinda of had enough of Sydney. There were two different jobs that I applied for. One I was just so underprepared, That which was at uh, the, the the Windsor Hotel in Melbourne. I was so underprepared for that interview. I remember after the interview, I was thinking, I absolutely bombed that. One of my good friends actually got the role. And the other hotel was called the Savoy Park Plaza. When I was offered the role, I was offered the job by the assistant general manager. And she said, look, you know we're looking for a concierge who can who can create a real department because they only had kind of like a um like a porter's desk it wasn't really a concierge department so she really she wanted to create this four and a half star hotel turn it into a five star concierge service so i was excited i was thinking this is a great opportunity now when i got there and i met the, the general manager he said look put together a list of all the changes that you want and i did and he said uh i can only approve two of these and the two that he approved they had no money attached to them (laughs) so everything else required funding and he wasn't prepared to fund it so the vision that the assistant gm had and what the gm had were completely uh opposite and so In that moment, I felt stuck and uh, there were no other chief concierge roles going around and I wasn't prepared to go backwards. And I was only months away from being uh, nominated and I'm sure inducted into Le Clé d'Or, which is the prestigious concierge union. I had to make a decision and I couldn't, I just didn't feel right still working at that hotel when, you know, I felt like I had a, a massive slap in the face. I was... You know, I guess, as I said, you know, from perhaps 21, and at that time I would have been 26, I think. I was I was driven, I, w- I was wanting to succeed. And if anyone listening has worked in hotels, I know it's not usually a high paying uh, role, even when you, I guess, unless you get to general manager, but I didn't want to go through management. I love being a concierge. There was so- sort of a, you know, a cap to what you could earn. And so that was kind of also my driving um, motivator where when Europe Car um, were looking for someone, they asked all the other concierges and because the other concierges knew I I wasn't happy, (laughs) they said, go and speak to Brett. The offer was too good. Like it was paying way more than what I was earning as a concierge. It was only working Monday to Friday. I had the weekends off. I had a company car. I thought this is too good to be true. You know, even though I was giving up, remember I said to you, I (laughs) consistently sabotaged my success. This was one of those moments where I had set my goal to become a Le Clay d'Or Concierge, which is a prestigious, wearing the golden keys on your lapel, which you probably have in Ireland as well. You know, it's, it's kind of the pinnacle of that role. Rather than just seeing it out to actually get to that goal that I'd set, at the 11th hour, I made the decision to go and work for Europe Car. Now, I did great, but I didn't feel fulfilled. In fact, I felt emptier working for them than I'd ever felt working in hotels. And so to answer that question, it's it's that driver, you know, when you, are I guess it's that age, you know, 26, 27, around that sort of age, that's when most people, you know, and in fact, for men, they say, that's when we become men. Or that's when we when we mature, we matured around that age. And so I guess I was maturing and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life. I had other friends at the similar age that were opening restaurants and bars and nightclubs. And that wasn't really my thing. I enjoyed going to them, attending them. (laughs) I didn't necessarily want to work in them. Then the next step was that a friend of mine already was running this concierge magazine. And I had these ideas to really make the magazine incredible. And I wanted to team up with him. However, he was writing a book which he wrote called Concierge Confidential because he was an actual writer. He said, look, I love all your ideas for the changes, but he said, I'm, I'm really unsure whether I'm going to start it again. And in fact, because I can see how inspired you are, I would like to give you the magazine, like give you the rights to start it or do it your, do it your own way. For me, that was kind of my, um, my first experience in being an entrepreneur, you know, starting something my own ideas and I uh, had to you know find all these different staff in a unique way because I didn't have a lot of money (laughs) so I had to find a way to get people on board without having to um, dip too too deep into the pockets that weren't very deep at all so I think you know I'm giving you the long-winded answer but it's it's that moment in life where you realize that there's got to be more there's got to be something else that you could be doing even though like as I said Being a concierge, it was my first real career. I loved doing it because I loved helping people and I still do, of course, in what I do. And so it's like a, I guess it's in my blood, you know, to to do this type of work. Obviously, I wasn't destined to just do that for my entire life, but it was a part of my life that I would definitely have to say is certainly helping me to this very day
1: so you moved on from the magazine to the real estate but tell us about that light bulb you you explain in one of your lives a few months ago about how you had this light bulb moment in doing real estate and realized i need to do something different tell us about that
2: well actually uh when i was in real estate 2011 i actually went bankrupt and i had um let me let me explain this better so i was at that time 2011 I was married for six years and I was with my partner for three years before that, so for nine years at that time. I had basically, early on, I had tried to build the relationship in an honest way, but when I was getting kickback from her in a not so positive way about my, the things that I was perhaps doing that she didn't agree with, I remember she said this one thing to me, and this is gonna come to the point of explaining the, the shift from real estate, I remember she said, um, if you're going to do that sort of stuff, like, I don't want to know about it and, you know, I don't want there to be any issues. And so I took that to meaning uh, that I could just not tell her. That one idea turned into not tell her about numerous things. And so the build-up, and let's call it, um, you know, how I was talking to you about the, the inner work, or the, you know, most of the time in life in general, when things aren't working on the external, people are trying to fix the external rather than looking for what is actually going on inside. What's the real this is? So I had no idea about this sort of stuff, really. In 2011, I just had such a bad ability to spend money and I had money that I was spending that, you know, my ex didn't know about. I got myself into trouble and I had this debt. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't manage it anymore and I had to go bankrupt. She didn't find out until later on when we had a big financial upheaval. And so, in 2011, as I was operating as a real estate agent, when you go bankrupt, um, you can't actually operate as a as a real estate agent. So that was the real main motivator (laughs) that I had to. I would have to my my real estate office would have to um, know that I'm that I'm bankrupt. And you're not meant to be, you know, instructing people on how to sell property when you can't even manage your own money. That was the main motivator, but I tell you, during that whole process, the one thing that was really, let's call it, keeping me sane or or allowing me to not completely lose my mind was fitness. And so I had this idea that I wanted to get into fitness, but I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know anyone that was a personal trainer other than the people that might be working at the gym where I used to train. And I saw this job come up for a company called ScoopOn, which is a bit like Groupon. It's kind of your online daily deals. And it's usually, you know, those deals that you might have a restaurant where it's like a, a $49 deal for two people to have this, you know, five course meal. And so it's ideally like a a way for people to to try out new things. And the hope is that the operator gives them a great experience that they go, wow, I really want to do that again. And so it's kind of like a lead business in its way. And so I did that for 18 months. And in that role, I became known as the fitness expert. So within Scoop On, at one time I was number four in the country and uh, and I was the, the fitness expert. Anyone who was doing a fitness deal, they'd come to me and ask me how to do it the best way. So that was my next move into that direction of getting into fitness. And the reason that I ended up opening a gym and becoming a personal trainer, the big financial upheaval that I had in 2014, which caused the demise of my marriage while we were pregnant, I had to do something. And not only did I have to do something for me, I had to do something to make sure I could look after my now ex-partner. And and I did. The big debt that I had was with the company, which was a business coaching company in the fitness industry. And I was working, um, I had to work off the debt. And so I paid off that debt in less than a year and continued working with them. And I opened that new gym, as I mentioned, I trained, I studied and became a personal trainer. I helped my ex to be a stay-at-home mum for the first three years of my son's life. So there's a lot of good things that transpired, a lot of mending relationships, but it wasn't until 2018 that I finally, finally realized that I hadn't healed myself, hadn't actually done that work for me. And so that was, as I mentioned to you at the start, the beautiful part about really understanding and learning and applying all those things that enabled me to become the person I am today.
1: What was that life bulb moment where you realized I needed to work deeper inside myself? I had followed Bob Proctor
2: um for 13 years at that time and if anyone doesn't know who he is type him into google bob proctor he's been studying teaching applying uh personal development for the last 60 plus years he uh he was one of the main people in the movie the secret that was brought out by Rhonda Byrne, who's actually from my hometown in melbourne australia so i'd followed him for you know as i said 13 years and Everything he would talk about, all the ways that he would explain that you can have change, I would love. However, I wasn't applying any of these things and I certainly didn't know what to do. Uh, and even if you told me what to do, I probably wouldn't have done it because I had really bad habits and really poor habitual behavior. But the, the, the light bulb moment that you're asking about was finally driving my car and I had this two hour trip each, each way each day. Um, from Brisbane to the Sunshine Coast to go and um, run a gym that, that, uh, that I was looking after. because I had a new gym that I was gonna open in North Brisbane. And uh, while it was being built, I was hopping out of the Sunshine Coast. So I had this two hour trip, um, so four hours, you know, two hours each way. And so I decided I was gonna listen to this Paradigm Shift event that I'd paid to, to go to or paid to virtually attend. It might have been day two of this three-day workshop that he was delivering. If you ever listen to Bob Proctor, at certain times, he will really start to ramp up his voice and you <laughs> will really feel the emphasis of why he's almost yelling through the microphone. As I'm driving my car into Marichidor, and I don't remember the words, but I'm sure it must've been something like, you too can live this life, but you've got to make a decision. And it hit me so hard that I started to cry. And these were tears of absolute joy, even though it was good. I'm like, this was the second time that I can remember as an adult crying. And so for me, it was, you know, it was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> when I said that question to myself, I heard in my head, oh my God, you are going to be successful this time. Now, you remember I, I you know, had a different picture of success before and and I certainly didn't feel like I'd had success. And so in my mind though, and I knew that I was constantly sabotaging myself, but that deep knowing, like whenever you have an emotional impact and usually when you're having a release, you whatever is positive in your mind gets stored as a subconscious belief. So you don't have to go through a repetitive process of perhaps an affirmation to program it over perhaps a 30-day period. This was a deep knowing. I knew that no more self-sabotage, I was actually going to get the success. And by the way, that now, in my now further advanced knowledge, that doesn't mean I don't fail. It just means that I know I will never quit. So whatever I make a decision to go for, I know from experience now that I won't stop. I'll keep going and I keep my commitment. And so, that was probably the light bulb moment for me, Aaron, where I just knew this was the moment where what I was about to do, and I had no idea what I was about to do, but the the work that I was about to do, it was going to actually change me this time. Or I, you know, wasn't that the work was going to change, it was the fact that I was going to change me.
1: Wow. It just shows you in that moment where you realise, I don't know what the how is, but I have my why and how will come. Exactly, yeah. And funny
2: enough, I even had a discussion with one of my clients about this exact thing today, which was she had an idea of what she wanted to work towards. And first of all, she gave me a figure, which I felt was the right one. And she said, "Oh, I was thinking this. However, knowing what I know about the X, Y and Z of the business, this is probably more realistic. And I said to her, no, (laughs) no, that's not how you do it that's how you're trained to do it and that's how we're all you know trained to well you know work out exactly you've got to know how you're going to get there and create a plan of action of how you're going to do it and you know maybe there's a bit of a stretch but you've got to you kind of have to know that that it's feasible whereas the whole point of setting big goals now or the understanding that I have in setting really big goals it's about you growing it's not about like, yes, it's great when you get there and you finally achieve or receive whatever it is you're going after. But the point is for you to become the person, to actually grow into that higher version of yourself that's actually not only ready and prepared to, to do it, but you're actually deserving because you've actually earned it. I think that's the, that's the power that I feel every time that certain things transpire. Some things transpire for me and probably has for you as well, where I, I just think, wow, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that to, to happen so soon. And even becoming a coach, I imagined in a couple of years time, once I'd actually had enough, you know, understanding, training results, that I would feel confident doing that. And so if I had to set my goal for two years time down the track, well, maybe I would have waited because I'd be thinking that's what, that's how it's meant to work. Does that make sense?
1: It makes complete sense. And probably that light bulb moment in 2018 realized, look, this is where I'm going. I don't know where it's going to lead me, but I feel like I need a coach. I need to teach people to understand what I've thought to bring that light bulb moment to everyone to realize you have this in some way. I think the other part
2: that I didn't mention about the light bulb moment was there were there were a couple of things one of the things i said were, was well if i'm going to be successful now how do i get started and there were two things that i knew i well not knew but two things that i decided i was going to do one of them was i was going to read this book this little book that bob proctor had been reading at that time for 57 years which is think and grow rich by napoleon hill and it was and it's pretty much his bible and I thought, well, if he's reading every single day, which seems absolutely crazy, like why would someone do that? But if he's doing that, there must be a reason for us. Maybe I need to read that book. That was number one. Number two, I said to myself, yes, read the book. Keep, you know, watching things on YouTube and, you know, doing what you can to <laughs> to do for, for free or for not much money. But I really need to do one of these programs, one of these high-level programs that Bob Proctor keeps talking about, I've got to do one of these things because I, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily that I knew I needed a coach, but when it came down to it, I realized if I was actually going to stick to it, I needed someone who had been through it, someone that actually understood the material that was actually going to keep me on track. If history had taught me anything, I was usually quite inspired and motivated and and excited at the start. And at some particular point, not too long after, I would find a way to quit. And so jokingly, but not a joke, I sometimes share that experience and say, I was the king of quitting and certainly not who I am today or now. And that's the beautiful part, Aaron, is that I remember thinking also when All of this started to transpire when I actually realized I was going to be successful. I remember also saying to myself, why did I have to wait till I was in my 40s? I was 43 at the time. I thought, why did I have to wait till I was in my 40s? And the answer that came back, whether it was my mind or whether it was God or the universe, was how many other people get to an older age and probably think, hey, You know, you've had a good innings and you've tried, you've had a good crack, but maybe this idea of what you think will make you feel successful, maybe that's just not available for you. Maybe you should just be grateful for what you got. And so my mission is to show them that is not the answer. (laughs) That is actually not the answer. You you want success? I don't care what age you are. I've got a 72-year-old client who's doing incredibly well. She was a semi-retired pharmacist, hadn't done anything else other than that. Pretty much her entire life and made a decision because she didn't have enough to retire that maybe she should do network marketing and here's a lady who couldn't even turn on a computer and she, made, she makes a decision to do network marketing and that inspired me you know I didn't she wasn't even looking for a coach at that time um, she was looking to try and sign me up with really poor conversational skills because I knew she must be senior, and I knew this must be new to her, I just said to her, hey, look, you know, I'm not interested in what you're selling, but I'm interested to perhaps give you some assistance. Now, she has proven to me, sure, maybe <laughs> we've had many conversations with her in tears, absolute, you know, not sure that she's going to be able to get through it, but she does. She never quits. She always keeps going. She always finds something else to keep her moving in that direction of what she decided. You know, and so that that inspires me because I think here's a woman at the age of 72 or 73 now that is just not prepared to quit and is doing something that's so far removed from anything she's ever done in her life. And she loves it.
1: You said you are the king of quitters. When did you realize you don't have to quit anymore? Good question. So
2: I think it was... I think it was once I started with with my coach, so my first coach was a lovely name, a lady named Mariko in Vancouver, Canada, originally from Japan. I think it was working with her, because I remember saying to myself when I started that this was the biggest investment I'd ever made, you know, in something that I really had no idea whether it was really going to get me the changes, um, but I hoped it would. But I I said one thing to myself, I said, whatever this lady tells you to do, you just do it, you know, no matter what. There was a certain point where I had to stop just doing whatever she suggested because I I didn't agree. But that was uh, pretty much close to the end of the program. And there were so many incredible things that I'd done leading up to the end of that. I think because I stuck to my commitment that first time, like really stuck to it and I saw so many dramatic, dramatic changes, so much growth in such a short space of time that I thought, this is it, <laughs> like this is it. I'm no longer going to quit, you know, and so there's a there's a chapter in that book Think and Grow Rich on decision. It's probably one of the most important skills, in my opinion, that anyone can learn, in fact, is backed up, I noticed that Tom Bilyeu, who has a show called Impact Theory, and he most famously created a billion-dollar company called Quest Nutrition. The reason that I mentioned him is he's not too dissimilar to me in some ways, even though he's further along his journey. He shares a story about when he was lazy, as in he would wake up at midday. He had no purpose. He had a partner that he really loved, but he was just really not driven, and there were changes that he made and so one of the skills i'm saying this word specifically one of the skills that he learned that has helped him to build the empire that he's got so far is decision making and that was one of the first lessons that my coach mariko taught me and i've got to tell you um and in think and grow rich it's the only thing napoleon hill mentions that Of the 500 of the most successful people that he interviewed back in the early 1900s, and that includes Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, a couple of presidents, that the only thing they could all agree upon, literally the only thing, was that they all made very quick decisions and they changed their minds slowly, if at all. And so what that means to me is that they kept their commitment so they said they were going to do something they followed through because as i'm sure you do as well at times we get excuses that pop up into our head especially when it's something new that we've never done before that we're, we're a little bit nervous about that we're thinking "Ah, oh, i'd love it to work but i'm just not sure and then all of a sudden these ideas which are excuses <laughs> pop up into our head to try and and it feels like it's trying to throw us off track. It's trying to take us off our track of what, we're, what we decided we're going to do, which is true. But actually, all it's trying to do is get you back on track, doing what you've done, before, like doing what the program has programmed to do. And so this is a new program you're trying to input and it doesn't compute. And so I think for me, that was, the, that was the real turning point in not quitting was
1: sticking to my commitment. What was your commitment?
2: Well, the the original one, and there's been many since, but the original one was to finish this program. You know, like I'm signing up for this program. In the past, if I'd sign up for some programs, I wouldn't finish it. Like I'd have great intentions, but different, (laughs) all sorts of different excuses would pop up and I would accept them. In fact, going back to that book, Think and Grow Rich, I'm making it sound like my Bible now. Napoleon Hill, the first time I read it, I've read it over 21 times now in the last three years. And he says at one particular point, I can't think what chapter it is, but there's 57 alibis that he shares, 57 alibis we give to ourselves as to why we can't follow through on our commitment. And when I first read it, when I first listened to it, I should say, I remember thinking or saying to Napoleon Hill, you know what, some of those are actually, I would accept, some of those are actually... They're decent excuses. I would accept those alibis. And the answer, I'm sure if he had have responded to my, <laughs> to my saying that, he would have said, you're right, of course. But the point is that's where your level of awareness is. That's where your level of understanding how of how this works. When I've read it numerous times since, I can tell you those excuses start to drop off. And I, I'm pretty sure if I went through it today, again, those 57 alibis, I, I reckon there'll be... I would be hard stretched to accept that one of those is acceptable you know and that that doesn't happen overnight and i think that's the exciting part for anyone that listening to this thinking you know what well, i've wanted to have success in my life and i feel like i've missed the boat you know it seems it's overwhelming i think about what i'd love to do and i think i don't know if i've got enough time to do it guess what you do You know, and it's not going to all happen at once. But I guarantee you, especially because you probably are more mature and you probably have had some great life experience, you're going to find that things start to fall into place a lot quicker. But You've got to go through a level of uncomfortability. It's not going to be comfortable at the start. And this is one other thing I want to share. And you can ask me another question, which is the thing that I I remember thinking was that this is going to be really, really hard. To to get these changes that I want, it's going to be really really hard, and cause, and I'm probably going off a level of um, remembering, you know, past experiences. It felt hard. The crazy thing is, like actually changing your life is simple. In fact, the way you do it is really really simple. But that doesn't mean it's easy. And the reason I say it's not easy is because, like I said before, you're fighting that old program, that old belief. Bob Proctor calls it a paradigm which is a multitude of habits or beliefs that are built up in our subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is the automatic part of our mind that we don't have to consciously think about so sometimes referred to as the unconscious mind and some of those things some of those programs or some of those parts of that paradigm are really really good you know and and they serve us well. But there are certainly and the the best way to detect what's not working is to look at your behavior or look at your results and and work backwards. And that's where you'll discover what is actually not going on. And, And then you look at it in a way of saying, well, look, we live in a world of duality, as in everything has an exact and equal opposite, as in we've got feminine and masculine. We've got inside, outside, we've got up and down, we've got left and right. Like you can't have one without the other. It's impossible. And that's exciting. Because if you've got parts of you that aren't working, you can swap them. And that's what you have to do. If you just try and ignore it or you're just trying to uh, remove it, well, you're probably going to find another negative takes its place. Something that is not too far removed from the program that's already running. So you have to reprogram. And there's different ways of doing it. I like to call it manually reprogram myself via affirmations over a period of time because the old me, the past me, was always looking for the quick fix, always looking for the magic bullet. And probably now, <laughs> thinking about it, I'm probably at that stage where, you know what, it's okay to fast-track it. Like I've really built the I built the right foundation. So now, and I'm telling you today, Aaron, maybe now I'll go and get some, some hypnosis to speed things up in different areas. And there's a type of hypnosis which is... Um, Promoted by Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a uh, trying to think what type of scientist he is—something to do with biology—and mm-hmm. there's an actual term of the type of doctor he is. But anyway, he he really explains science in a very um, easy to understand way if you don't have any scientific background. And there's a type of hypnosis that he promotes called Psych K, and it's one of the best type apparently to reprogram those non-productive parts of our subconscious to start getting these new results or, or more improved changes. And so I dare say at some, t- at some point soon, rather than
1: just <laughs> doing what you always do, it'll be time for an upgrade. Our mind and body is like a laptop and the phone and it's constantly updating. I'm wondering yeah. in the last three years, have you mastered your, yourself um, better now in that you said that you hadn't before? Definitely. Like,
2: you know, I don't know what percentage I would give myself.
1: <laughs> it's definitely,
2: you know, it's definitely up there. It's a very high percentage of change. But most days I'm still thinking, you know, and I guess that's, you know, still thinking to myself, I'm not quite there. <laughs> There's still elements of myself that I would like to be, you know, more improved at. But as soon as I start to think that way, I also tell myself to stop giving myself a hard time whenever i say this to clients i say to them when i'm telling you to stop giving yourself a hard time i'm not saying take yourself off the hook as in it doesn't matter it matters it matters what matters more is how you treat yourself the past is the past and every single day i'm right in this very moment right now listening to me you have a moment to choose and so." don't waste your energy and time beating yourself up about the fact you know better and you should be doing better just make the decision you know what okay that's fair but have i done have i done well to get to where i am right now absolutely you know most of my clients they definitely have we have this habit of giving ourselves little uppercuts and those you know over time those little uppercuts actually add up (laughs) they add up And so it's really important to stop beating ourselves up and yes, be aware of what we're not doing. If we're not happy with that, make a conscious effort that you're actually going to improve it. And it doesn't have to be all at once. You can actually make small incremental changes. And at some point, because you're building that momentum, you'll find that you actually start to have these quantum leaps. Things actually change in a bigger way with what seems like no effort.
1: If someone said to you, Brett, that you're a superhero, what would you describe yourself as your superpower?
2: Well, a lot of people do call me Superman.
1: <laughs> um,
2: and I, did, I do show up as a version of him. Um, well, in fact, my version of him has changed again. But my superpower, I don't have X-ray vision yet. I can't necessarily fly the way that Superman flies. So the superpowers, I would have to say, one of them, like I mentioned before, is decision making, and I'm sure some people right now today are thinking, decision making—that's not—that's not hard. Don't we make decisions every single day? Not really, <laughs> not really, <laughs> and that's a whole longer conversation. So I'm not going to dig into the whole point. But decision making is a skill. So I'd actually almost call that a superpower if you know how to if you know how to use it properly, um, and it becomes a really strong skill. It becomes a superpower because that's where we get a lot of our a lot of our growth a lot of our change actually transpires from that or transmutes from making that sometimes really illogical decision. You know, in fact, I've had discussion today with another one of my clients on this exact topic. So, I'd say decision making, I would say perhaps my biggest superpower is my kindness. So, the way that I care for people, that's a real superpower. And what else would be a superpower? Good question. I haven't really thought about the tangible, tangible powers <laughs> from the <laughs> skills that I've, that I've built over these years, but decision-making, kindness. I'd even say, because I actually feel, I actually feel like I've built an inner armour, especially over the last 12 months, but definitely over the over two years. In the first year, I felt like I was copying a lot of bullets and not physical ones, of course. And I'm just talking about energetic bullets that would um, injure me and I would take it on board. i take things personal. But now I find it's very hard to get under my skin or it's very hard to pierce my armour. So I think the, um, what would we call that? I guess it's resilience. No, not really. It's, uh, it's It's not about being cold and it's not about not accepting it. It's just I'm very good at determining what I need to deal with and what I don't. And whether it's someone else's emotions and feelings and problem or whether it's something I, I really need to listen to and take on board.
1: Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I totally agree. You know, we're bulletproof. Bulletproof means we can survive anything past resilience.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why I was sort of saying resilience. But I think there's another word that I can't quite grasp at the moment that would probably make it a bit more um, structured. But it is, yeah, bulletproof. It's that inner armour that you know really enables you to do things you know and you probably hear people saying and i don't necessarily go around saying this but you know don't give an f about what people think and when some of the high level people who who say that like you know stop giving an f about what people think what they mean is not don't give an f about everyone but don't give an f about people who aren't in your corner who aren't you know inspiring you or aren't really behind you people who are trying to bring you down and some of those people, as I'm sure you've experienced, are family, people closest to you. And they're not purposely trying to pull you down necessarily Some are, but um, most aren't. They're, they love you, they care about you, but they're putting their own feelings towards the fact that they would never do these sort of things. And it just seems a bit illogical and how you're gonna make a living and all these different ideas or thoughts that they have that they throw on you. And some of them stick. And sometimes we accept those as our excuses. Well, well, yeah, Uncle Johnny did try that a few years back and it didn't work out. So, oh, yeah, maybe it won't work for me, you know. So, yeah, building the inner armor, I think, is that really important superpower that everyone has the ability to build. And just like any of these superpowers, they take a bit of time, a bit of repetition um, of actually using them to get good at them. And when you start, like I said earlier, when you start anything, you're probably going to be crap. You're probably not going to be any good. <laughs> you know, most most of the time, with repetition and with practice and with determination and with faith, um, you're going to find that you get there. Fresh, what
1: inspires you to do what you do, with? Um,
2: It would have to be the fact that I know I've found my purpose and the fact that I love the material that I train people through and, and I'll explain that a bit better Now, Zin, when I had my big financial upheaval in August of 2014 when I finally snapped out of my negative spiral that I was definitely on because I've always been a positive person that actually saved my life because so I did think about I did contemplate taking my life for a, for a brief moment because um, I was 39 years of age turning 40 and you know I mentioned that I was a top real estate agent I didn't own a home there's the whole story to there's all the backstory to that, um, and and excuses that go with it. You know, here I am putting my wife, who's now pregnant, in a position where we'd spend all of our savings on these two businesses that hadn't yet taken off, and we just bought a new car, and we're living in a really big home that we didn't need. <laughs> it's too big for just two people anyway. You know, and so. in in that moment I mentioned to you that that was the first time that I can remember as an adult crying so once I snapped out of that negative spiral I started to cry and in that moment of crying the first thing I said to myself is I never want to be in this type of situation again in fact I never want to be this type of man again if I'm really being honest with you today I wasn't being a man and then I said you know what When I figure out how to fix myself, oh, I know, I should write a book and help other stupid men figure out how to fix their lives as well. Now, it wasn't that I was a stupid man, it's just that I was making stupid decisions. And I dare dare say that's the same for many men out there, you know? And it was an idea that... It couldn't actually have come from my own mind and why I say that and whether it's God or whether it was the universe I was given a divine intervention in that moment of a, of a massive breakdown I was given this idea to write this book and so that book set me on the path now I didn't do anything about it for four years I did I was keeping a journal when when my marriage when the first you know number of weeks that, <laughs> that it transpired I was writing in my journal it was keeping me sane and I, I was taking notes of how I felt and what was going on and what I planned to do. And, and actually, that, that inspiration, I was going to use that really shitty experience to actually help other people. That was kind of the inspiration for me back then. As I said, it took me another four years to finally start writing in the book. Now, that book has been written and rewritten five times, um, the last time with the help of my book coach. And it's almost out. Within a couple of months, it'll be out. I had it ready back in october or i had the first draft i should say ready back in october of 2019 because i was going on jack canfield's tv show called talking about success because i'd had so much success in that first year and uh thank god i didn't print it (laughs) thank god i didn't let it get done and so it's been added to and and the coaching and the work that i've done since has been included in the book and so if i didn't allow it time to develop I made a decision it was going to be a a triple best-selling book. And there's so many other things that I could give you to explain how I know I'm on track. But the point is, it's not just about achieving the the milestones. It's about who I've become. That's so much more important now. And so the biggest part, and in fact, this is the inspiration now, Aaron, is that it's not about me. Like it is. Like I'm important. (laughs) I'm an important part of the story. But it's so much bigger than me, you know, and so... Uh, I'm still not the version of myself that I need to be to really do what I'm going to do in a big way. But do I know I'm getting there every single day, a little bit better every day? Yes. I'm consistently and persistently pursuing the best version of myself every single day. And I couldn't do that. This is just my opinion. I don't feel I could do that if it was just about me if it was just about me getting accolades which I've had you know numerous things that have transpired already it was just about that for me in a selfish way I don't think I would be doing things at the level I'm doing and I would be (laughs) no doubt like I was for many years I would be you know going out and partying still having drinks and doing whatever else I was doing because that's the numbing of the pain when you don't when you're not inspired when you're not Inspired to do something that's bigger than yourself, you know. And so, whenever I'm working with anyone new, it's it's like you don't need to figure out your purpose straight away. In fact, it might not happen straight away. But you really need to be working towards something that you're really inspired by, that you're motivated by, that hopefully, at some point, there's a way that you can create something, whether it's with that or something else, that enables you to um, figure out what this definiteness of purpose is for you, and then. As you're moving towards that, what invariably actually transpires is you build a burning desire to achieve it. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in many others. In fact, and I'm probably not meant to give away the secret, but there is a secret in this book, Can Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And the first time I read it, he said, I've put the secret in plain sight in every single chapter of this book. And when you first see it, um, pay attention to when you first see it and, uh, and you'll know because I, I mentioned it throughout the book. Now, when I looked it up on Google to see if that was the answer, no one suggested that was the answer. However, it's the only thing that I can see now being through it over 21 times that is consistently mentioned in every single chapter. And when I first locked into it, I, I had the definite purpose, but I definitely, definitely, definitely did not have a burning desire to achieve it. Um, in fact, I wasn't even sure I was the type of person that could do it. And you asked me that question today. Yes, I am. And I will do it. In fact, I've already done it on one on one level of consciousness somewhere.
1: <laughs> I've already, if I can think it, I've done it. Right. If you have run the world stage, you've completed everything, what would success mastery look for you? I know it's the name of your podcast, but what do you see it eventually becoming? You know, I think
2: what it becomes is it, it becomes a legacy, you know, maybe not too dissimilar to Napoleon Hill with his uh, foundation. Maybe not too dissimilar with many people around the world who build something that that gives to so many others. I really have no idea what that is, other than the fact that I'll be living life completely on my terms. And even though my focus is to live a um, a balanced life of freedom, where you know I'm not overworking, um, I feel like I probably will. <laughs> And and I say that because, you know, as I see other people who are as inspired as I am, and I'll give you one person as an example. Actually, I'll give you two. So David Meltzer and James Whitaker. both of those men in in their own different unique ways, are you know, living absolutely inspired lives and they're making a big difference in, in other people's lives. And I see how much they're working. They definitely work more than me. And so I kind of feel like I'll probably do the same because as you get more and more inspired and as you see more and more amazing results with other people, you want to do more. Like you think, I need to to keep doing this. I need to do it in a bigger way. So I feel like there'll be a bigger team of people that it won't, like the big part, and I'm glad you mentioned on the stage because that is the main thing. Someone asked me the other day, oh, you know, are you going to be a coach for the rest of your life? Well, probably, but... That's not my main focus. My main focus is being on stage, talking about this material, talking about the stories about how I did all this at a much older age than most people. The main part of it is just feeling fulfilled. There's a um, few different characteristics that one of my clients says that he's he's striving towards and that is calm, happy and confident. Calm, happy and confident. And I really like that idea being calm, happy, and confident, and feeling just completely abundant, and knowing that I'm doing what I was actually guided to do, which I already am, so I already feel completely successful.
1: If there's one piece of advice you could give to yourself or others, what would it be? Uh, It would be keep your commitment.
2: It would be don't give up. You know, I remember hearing the, the quote from uh, Winston Churchill, never, 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 never give in. I think that's the thing, like never give in to yourself. Your commitment to yourself is the most important one. For a lot of us, it's the, it's the one that we're, <laughs> we're easiest to quit on because we think, oh, it's just me. So I would say, keep your commitment with yourself and with others. And just on a side note, like the biggest thing that I made a decision that I'm going to put more emphasis on and maybe this is a part of that other answer that I could have added, which is now that I live my truth and now that I'm really inspired to make sure I'm being as truthful as I can in every situation, there's so much untruth in the world there's so many things that we really just don't know we might have our belief and we might go oh, i think that's what it is it seems logical I've, you know can kind of scientifically decide that's what it is but there's so many different ideas of what really is happening in this 3d physical plane you know is the world flat or is it round um, is there really space or is it just water above a uh, firmament <laughs> You know, there are so many different um, ideas that are out there and there are people that believe them with all their heart, you know. And so I think my mission, the big part of my mission is really getting to the root, and I don't know whether I'll be able to do it, but that is something that i decided I want to do, which is to really figure out what is the truth. You know, what is the truth in everything? When there's two different sides to what it is, I want to know which is the side that is that is true and a a philosophical or perhaps a metaphysical answer to that could be there's both.
1: (laughs) There is both, but
2: you know, I can't quite get my head around that yet.
1: So anyway, there you go. Excellent. Right. If people want to find and get to know more about you, where can they go? Yeah, so I'm just
2: upgrading my website at the moment. It's still operating anyway, but um, it's going to be really beautiful <laughs> when it's finished. fact I'm looking at my other screen as as we speak, and there's a list of things I've got to finish off for the new one before it gets launched. And uh, but the website address is pretty easy. It's my name, so it's Brett D Scott. Both Brett and Scott have double T's, so Brett D Scott, all one word. dot com. Brett D Scott. dot com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I am on most social media channels, except for perhaps Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and it's just under my name.
1: Bryce, it's been a pleasure having you on. And thank you so much for sharing your story, your knowledge and experiences.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate you asking me. I'm so marching.